In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, we're going to continue studying in the book of 1 Kings, just to give kind of a, an overview of uh, where we are right now on the list of the kings. Um, we had the king whose name was Abijam. He was uh, king of Judah, uh, and uh, he, was, he was wicked. He was the son of Rehoboam. Uh, and then his son, Asa, became king, and he was a righteous king. Um, and afterward was Jehoshaphat. So those are the, the three kings after Rehoboam. We have Rehoboam, and then Abijam, and then Asa, and then Jehoshaphat. Um, that was in the southern kingdom. Uh, in the northern kingdom, there was Jeroboam. And then after that, who was the son of Jeroboam came after him? Nadab. Nadab uh, came after him. And then someone conspired against Nadab and killed him. No, but that, the, no, not not yet. That was later. Who? Basha. Basha. He he conspired to kill Nadab. Okay, um, and he 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 formed a, a new house, like it's a new new family. He was one of the um, one of the officers under uh, the king. And then Basha, who was also evil, and then his son became king after him. Okay, who was his son? This is the son of Basha. Elah, he, he was the son. Okay, and then there was another man, Zimri. Okay, he's the one who conspired against him, and he's the one who only remained king for seven days. Okay, and he was overthrown by Omri. Okay, and there was another man whose name was Tibni, who was wanting to take the throne from Omri, but he was defeated, and Omri prevailed. Um, and then the son of Omri was... Famous king, Ahab. Okay, Ahab. Um, and he became one of the most wicked kings. I'm going to read the verse that uh, speaks about him in, in, in chapter 16 where it said, And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God to, uh, of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Okay, so um, he was he was wicked, and we're going to read a little bit about him now. Again, for just so now you can see it visually. Okay, in the in the south of Judah, you had Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, or also called Abijam. All right. Asa, Jehoshaphat, that's as far as we got, okay? In the northern kingdom of Israel, you had Jeroboam, after him Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, the one who only ruled for seven days, Omri, and then Ahab, right? Do you remember now? Okay. So chapter 17. So at this point... There had been now many generations of kings um, and, and, and many wicked kings. And so um, we read here, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, this is the first time we mention Elijah, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall, be, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So um, 
now God is going to take an action, right? Up until now, um, you know, there had been relative freedom for these kings to do what they did. And even when God sent this man of God, if you remember the man of God from the southern kingdom of Judah, to go up to the northern kingdom to condemn them for their idol worshiping, right? Um, but again, so this was an action, right, that God is taking to warn the people about what they are doing, right? Um, but all of this was ignored because everything continued uh, as it was. So now God is going to kind of escalate a little bit, okay? So now there's going to be this drought. So he sends Elijah the prophet uh, to uh, King Ahab, and he tells him that there's going to be a drought. There's not going to be any rain, right, except the my word. So whenever Elijah says that the drought will end, this is when the drought will end, and nothing that they do is going to... Um, is, is, is going to avail anything, okay? Um, <coughs> Elijah, we speak a little bit about him because he is one of the greatest prophets that's mentioned in the Bible. And actually, if we know uh, at the end of his life, he didn't actually die, but he was taken up to heaven um, on these chariots of fire. So he's very, um, he's very uh, unique figure um, in, in the scripture. Um, and he, like Enoch as well, where we believe that they they went up to heaven without having died and that they eventually will come back and return again um, to the world. Um, the, the name Elijah means uh, my God is Jehovah. So his name is a testament to the faith. And according to Josephus, the historian, Elijah was from a region of Gilead, which was called Teshbin. Teshbin. So when they call him the Tishbite from that region, Teshbin, uh, he was very bold maybe reminds us a lot of St. John the Baptist and the way that he deals with things. He's very bold. He's not timid. Um, he, he says very, uh, like very di directly rebukes and confronts um, the wicked people. Um, a little bit about his background. Um, so what are some of the important events of his life that we're going to see uh, throughout um, the scripture? So we see him here appearing before King Ahab, chastising him with the drought. Um, he's going to have an encounter with a widow, which we're also going to read about, the widow of Zarephath, when he helps her during this time of the drought. There is a famous event with the killing of the prophets of Baal, uh, which we will discuss. Uh, he flees to Mount Horeb from the face of Jezebel, choosing Elisha as his disciple. So kind of uh, there's a period where Elisha is kind of under his training to becoming a prophet like him, and he will actually end up taking the place of Elijah after Elijah goes to heaven. Um, he prophesies the destruction of the house of Ahab because Ahab commits a sin by taking um, the property of Naboth, uh, which we will discuss, uh, rebukes the king Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, and then ascending to heaven. Those are some of the major events that we're going to discuss uh, about his life. Um, even when um, speaking about how he is very similar to St. John the Baptist, um, in, in Luke chapter 1, it says, He will also go before him, speaking about St. John the Baptist, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So even in the scripture, it's likening the, the, the St. John the Baptist to having the same spirit of Elijah. Okay? In Malachi chapter 4, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great coming, uh, sorry, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So again, it's mentioning Elijah as far as the coming, the end, the the, the coming at the end times uh, of of Elijah as one of the things that is going to happen at the end. In Mark chapter nine, it says, and they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they, didn't, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. As there are many prophecies in the scripture that have multiple fulfillments. So one type of fulfillment of the prophecy is that St. John the Baptist is a figure representing Elijah. It's not that he is actually Elijah, but that he is the representation of Elijah. When, when here when the Lord is saying, Elijah has already come, right? Speaking about St. John the Baptist and he was killed, right? But, but then we also expect Elijah to come again. So there's like multiple fulfillments. St. John the Baptist as a figure of Elijah and then Elijah himself at the end times. Um, also, we see the life of Elijah being very ascetic, um, similar to the life of St. John the Baptist. Um, St. Clement of Alexandria, he says, We should look at Elijah the Tishbite as a magnificent role model of modest satisfaction, sitting underneath the thorns and thistles. The angels provided him with just a cake of barley and a cup of water, which was the best for him. So even as he was... Um, as as he was being fed, we'll see how he is being fed during this time of the drought. He lived a very meager lifestyle, right? Um, also, just like St. John, it says about him, he was in the wilderness um, eating locusts. Um, so also here, Elijah was also living uh, very ascetically. Um, one interesting thing is that in the Jewish tradition, during the rite of circumcision, um, there is an empty chair that is placed in the room where this ceremony is being held and it's called elijah's chair okay and according to the tradition okay jezebel who is the queen she prevented the people at this time from being circumcised okay of course we know that circumcision was something that was required by god to be among the people of god so because here they are preventing the worship of god so according to tradition jezebel was preventing people from being circumcised and so Elijah, who stood up against Ahab and Jezebel, was seen as like a protector and a restorer of the faith. Okay, So whenever there is a circumcision ceremony, it's like they are inviting Elijah to come to attend. Okay, So they place a chair for him, they place a glass of wine for him, and they actually leave the doors of the room where they are having the ceremony. They leave the doors open, like inviting Elijah um, to come. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I, uh, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Okay. <coughs> so this uh, brook, okay, if you can see where Samaria is. So remember, Samaria is now the capital. And so this is where Ahab would be. Um, and where Elijah would go when he would be speaking to Ahab, okay? And the brook Cherith is on the other side of the, of the Jordan River, okay? And so here, 
where he said Elijah was declaring this drought and he was saying that it was coming from God and he is saying you shall retreat from here right you shall go away from here right for some time and this period of drought ended up lasting three and a half years um, in order for the people to experience the pain of it so that they would repent that was the goal okay of of the drought so in the meantime um, like the people are all suffering from from this drought and Elijah himself was suffering from the drought because he, he was living in the land and when there wasn't food to eat all right there there wasn't um, he, he himself was struggling with that um, so uh, but we see like an example here of where like God is protecting those who are righteous including Elijah himself in Psalm 91 it says a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand but it shall not come near you only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked meaning even though yes you are being affected by the sins of the people but but this destruction is not meant for you kind of like how we see during the time of the exile where um, all of the people were taken as captives to Babylon, including righteous people like Daniel, right, and his and his three friends, the three youth. And yet the life that they led was still a life of righteousness, and actually God was still working with them and used them to, to spread the, the, the faith in God to the pagan people who were living there. So even though Elijah is suffering under the same drought, but God is going to um, protect him. Um, we also see another example of this in the book of Revelation, where during there is a time of persecution for the church. And it says in Revelations 12, then the woman who, who represents the church fled into the wilderness where she, uh, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Meaning even though that there was a time of persecution and yet God was providing a means of protection and nourishment for the church even during like these times and if we look at all the different times of persecution um, in the church there's yes there is like severe hardship that the people experience <coughs> but there's also evidence of the presence of God protecting and supporting um, all of the people so we're going to see the same thing um, happening now so he went and did according to the word of the Lord meaning going to this brook um, and to, to dwell there for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook so he was supported there he was able to eat bread and meat and also drinking from the brook and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land so eventually there was no more water in the brook then the word of the lord came to him saying arise go to zarephath which belongs to sidon and dwell there see i have commanded a widow there to provide for you okay so now he told him, so you can see here also on the map here where Zarephath is, it's way up in the north, okay? This is uh, up in the region of Tyre, so this is not in Israel. Um, he went from um, the brook Cherith up, up there. Um, really, we can ask the question, if God was able to bring Elijah to a place where there was water and that ravens brought him, food right bread and meat right not just bread but bread and meat for him to eat okay why now he's saying well the the water has dried up so you have to travel to another place almost as though it's like well now this is a big problem you know there's no more water left in the brook why do you think 
that he is being sent to go here, to Zarephath. Because there's a widow there that needs help, right? So Elijah being sent there is not because he is in trouble, right? It's not because there's nothing, there's no solution for him to survive and to be sustained um, in the location that he was because God is already doing miracles in order to feed him. And God could have very easily made more water appear or whatever it is for him to continue to living where he was. The reason he's being asked to go there is not because he is escaping, but because he's actually going to serve this woman. It's almost like God sees that there is this woman and her son that he is aware of, and he is sending the prophet to her in order for him to be sustained, right? And and also for her to, to benefit from his presence, okay? So this would be a blessing both for Elijah and the widow, and God would be rewarding the woman for her, for her faithfulness, which we are about to see how she is going to um, demonstrate that faithfulness whenever Elijah comes. And so this is also shows us how God uses the church to serve people. Like we are being nourished by God, okay? But God also wants us to go and to nourish other people. He wants us to go and serve people who are far from God, don't know God, right? He wants us to be the means by which other people are served. And so not everything is just about our own survival or our own benefit or our own blessing, but also to share that blessing and those good things that we receive from God um, with other people. Now, keep in mind that this woman he's going to go visit, she is not a Jew, right? She is a Gentile. Um, in the New Testament, actually, the Lord Jesus Christ rebukes the people, okay? And he likens them to Israel at this point in the history of Israel where there was no one doing, uh, there was no one righteous, right? And so he says, in Luke chapter 4, But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to no one of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Right? He's saying, is it because there was no widows in Israel that um, God sent him to this widow? He says, no, there were no righteous people in Israel. Like in, at this point in Israel... There was, there was no one who was righteous, right? And so he's saying, well, we have to go to the Gentiles. We have to go to the pagans to find the righteous people, right? And so he is, he's rebuking them there. He's rebuking the, the Pharisees who are saying, well, we are the children of Abraham and we are, you know, our, our people has historically from the very beginning been faithful and obedient to God. And he's saying to them, no, look, you had these, um, you, were, you were idol worshipers, right and to the point where there was no one even in israel that was deemed worthy of elijah being sent to uh to save okay so he arose and went to zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said please bring me a little water and a cup that i may drink and as she was going to get it he called to her and said Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, so the drought was affecting 
you know, not only Israel, but also the Sidonians, right? The people who are living in this region. And everyone was suffering, right, because of it. Now, keep in mind that the reason for the drought was because God was rebuking the Israelites. And yet, be even though that is the reason the drought was happening, that's not the only people who are being affected. Kind of like when you say, like, there is one person who is is living in sin, right? And there's, you know, some negative consequences of that sin that is coming upon them for what they did, right? And yet that might be affecting other people. Other people who are innocent. Other people who have done nothing wrong, right, are still being affected by um, the actions of these people. And certainly here they were being um, rebuked. Uh, uh, the Israelites being rebuked, it was affecting everyone. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So what do you think about this request? You know, if you're, you're hungry and you go to a widow who has a son and they're starving to death, and they don't even have bread enough for them to eat. And they said, we're just going to eat whatever we have, and then we're going to die. And then you go to this widow, and you say, no, give me some first. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I think maybe... Maybe s someone from us and definitely in our society, like like the first thing they would do is like post on social media about this horrible person who came to ask them for their food when they were dying of starvation, right? And that would be like the, like, and everyone would speak bad about them, right? That would be the thing, right? But you see like the spirit that I of this and this, this widow, that she is like willing to trust what this man said because he told her why he's asking he said what for thus says the lord god of israel the bin of flour shall not be used up nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the lord sends rain on the earth and so what is it that she had to lose at this point you know like she felt that uh, her life was about to end her son was going to die and if anyone is willing to give her any hope she was willing to cling to that hope um even if there was no, you know, like there was no evidence, but she said, okay, I'll believe you. I believe what you're saying, and I'm going to give you this food, um, use up the oil and the flour to make you this cake, and you eat it, and then maybe there won't even be enough for us to eat, but so be it, okay? Um, and you see, like, also, like, how people, when they're in the kind of in their lowest, uh, you know, the, 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 the lowest level where, like, they become desperate, even people who had rejected God for their entire life maybe would be for the first time willing to consider him, right? That there is, that maybe there is truth. I remember there was a story about, like, I, I can't remember who, but there was, like, a very famous, like, celebrity um, who kind of was well-known for being very hedonistic in their life, like, living life in a very wicked way. Um, and then they, they, they were sick. I don't remember if they got cancer or something. And then uh, they were dying, right? And they're on their, on their deathbed. They asked for a priest, right, to come to them, right? 
why because you reach that point where you where you feel like okay like i have nothing like there's nothing i can do i will consider this like i will be willing to even accept this and consider this because of my great desperation um so um so she believed what he said and she offered what is it that he asked her to offer him so she went away and did according to the word of elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days so actually God blessed this flour and oil. Not only did Elijah eat, but she ate. They all ate. Okay. Another thing that we learn from this when it comes to the servants of God is that for the servants of God, their life is caught up in the service. Like their life is so um, inseparable from the service that they offer because this is part of their identity. Because the service is something that is a calling, whatever type of service. When, when God calls a person to serve, he's saying what? Your entire life, your salvation is intertwined with this service. Meaning the blessings that I want to give you, you will find it as you do this. right? So you are gaining, you are living, and the people you are serving are, are gaining and living through you. Right? So... Anyone who is being called by God, we shouldn't think that a person who is called to serve God, it's just kind of like, okay, God is telling us what to do and we do it and we have to obey him. Okay, it, it's, it's more than that. It's more like God is giving us food, right? Just like he is giving Elijah here food. This is the spiritual food, right? Because if Elijah had said, no, I don't, I will not go there, right? I'm, I'm already hungry and starving and I don't have water and all this stuff and I, I don't want to go there for whatever reason, right? Well, maybe Elijah would have died. Because it was actually through his offering, his service to this widow, that he himself was sustained. So it's important for us, anyone who is called by God to do any service. And this service doesn't just even have to be like service in the church. It's like the service of being a spouse, the service of being a parent, the service of serving our parents, the service of, of anything. Anything that we are called to do, right? Our fulfillment, our blessing, our salvation is tied up in whatever it is God is asking us to do because this is the path of life for us. This is the path that God has laid out for us. Just walk this path and you will find life. You will find blessing. You will find salvation. Okay? So we shouldn't think that anyone who is like called to serve another person, that this is just like a burden that I'm carrying. This is just some difficult task that I have to do and maybe I do it begrudgingly. Actually, my own life is found in this. My my own future is found in this. My own salvation is found in this, right? So as the more we serve, the more we are served, okay? And God God works in us. So um, she she this woman was was a blessing for Elijah, as much as he was a blessing for her. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So again, this woman had an amazing faith, okay? And this is why the Lord mentioned her, right, in, in, in the New Testament. Um, and this was a faith that put the Pharisees to, sh to shame. He's saying, look at this simple widow who was willing to sacrifice her life by feeding the prophet first before herself. And she saw the result was a great blessing that she received. Um, this is also a great lesson for us about giving of ourselves and being hospitable to others. And St. Jerome, he says, Let us then remember the widow of Zarephath, who cared to satisfy the hunger of Elijah more than to preserve her life and that of her son. 
despite being sure that unless they find something to eat, she and her son would certainly die in the same evening, she decided to let her guests survive. She chose to sacrifice her and her son's life rather than disregard the duty of giving. Right? She, she, she truly placed somebody else before her in the most difficult time. You know, maybe it's easy for us to place other people ahead of us when there is plenty and we have everything and we are very contented and satisfied and we have far more than we need. And then, maybe even then, sometimes we begrudgingly give of like a small part. Okay, I'll give you a little bit, right? Whereas this woman, she gave of all that she had, literally. It was like she was giving her life to him, right? Because, because without this food she was going to die and the life of her son says i'm giving you everything right and i do it in faith believing the words um, that you said now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him okay so her son okay um died her son died this widow, she is um, like representing the church of the New Testament that's coming from the Gentiles. She's representing the Gentiles who are coming to faith. And her son who died is representing like every human soul in the world. Every person who is dying apart from Christ. Dying in darkness, dying in ignorance. Okay, And although her son ate from the food that was provided by the prophet it was not enough to keep him from dying it nourished the body for a time but it did not prevent ultimate death right just like the the temporary food that we eat in the world maybe nourishes our bodies for a time but does not prevent the eternal death or the ultimate death so instead he was in need of the eternal food right he was in need of the food that 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 will sustain us forever and the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this. He said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Right? Speaking about himself. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Okay? So, so here what the Lord was saying is even the bread that God had sent, the physical manna that came from heaven, that sustained the people for decades in the wilderness, you ate of all of that bread, which was miraculous. It was a miraculous bread, right? Like it wasn't just a regular bread. It was a miraculous bread, and the people ate of it, and yet they still died, right? Whereas the Lord is saying about himself, I am the bread of heaven, the bread which if you eat of me, you will not die. So even though here this prophet, he gave her this miraculous bread, this flour and oil that never depleted, right? It was miraculous. And yet, even when they eat of this bread, they still die because it is not the heavenly bread, right? And the Lord is saying about himself that he is the heavenly bread, okay? Um, so she said to Elijah, right, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? What is she saying? What does it mean, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance? Yeah. 
She thinks that her the death of her son is her punishment for her sins. Yeah. So she's she's saying like now that Elijah the prophet of God has come, it's kind of like God has now paying attention to me and my actions and my life. And he's saying she she's saying my sins are have now like come before God and he is punishing me, right? And judging me for the sins that I am that I have committed. Okay? And so of course she is very upset. Right? She's almost like blaming Elijah now, right? Saying, Have you come to me to kill my son? Um and we can ask the question, like, why did God allow this woman, you know, to experience this? I mean, we were just talking about how she was so hospitable, how she had so much faith, how she gave of herself, you know, why this woman would then we see that God would allow such a tragedy like this to happen to her. Just like when we see the lives of very faithful and good people, very faithful Christians, that some calamity, tragedy happens to them, and then we ask the question, why, God, are you allowing this person to suffer in this way, in this horrible way, right? And sometimes we have no answer. Many times we don't have an answer, right? But we know that God knows what he's doing, right? Here, actually, we're going to see that Elijah is going to raise the son from the dead, okay? And so having gone through this trial and having seen the outcome of it, which is that God has the power over death, right? Right, that, 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 and, and we will see like there is a, like there's a symbolism here to the cross. But um, like the idea that we go through this deep suffering and then we, 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 we gain something from it that we didn't have before. In this case, it's kind of clear because we see, well, the son was raised from the dead again, and we see, like, okay, the woman saw all this, like, the experience this. A lot of times, we don't see, like, we don't know. It's just a very tragic situation, and we don't know what the outcome of it was. Why is it that such a person had to go through this tragic thing? So I'm not trying to say that I, I, I can answer that question, but we believe that God is, is, is doing something good, allowing something good. There is something good that God is allowing in the life of a person. Um, what what it is that's good, we can't know. Maybe we don't know. Um, but here we see that, like, what's happening to her son is not the result of her sin, as she was thinking, but it is actually just the natural state of corruption that we all experience. All death is against the will of God because God did not create us to die. He created us to live eternally, right? So the concept of death is foreign to God. It's foreign to him. He does not experience death, and nothing that he creates should experience death or destruction. So when he created Adam and Eve, there shouldn't have been any death. There should have only been life, right? And because the Lord is the source of life. He is the source of life. Without him, there is nothingness. So, so anyone who is connected to him, anyone in union with him, could not experience anything but eternal life just by virtue of being with him, okay? So any death that we experience is because of our separation, right? So the separation that began, of course, with the sin of Adam and Eve that brought death. So here, this son is, she's, he's not experiencing death because of the specific personal sins of him or his mother, right? He's experiencing death because death is part of now the nature of the corrupted world that has been separated from God. Okay, and we all are subject to it, all of us, no matter how the most righteous person, 
right? Is subject to it. But God has taken this death and transformed it, right? So in on the on the cross, the Lord did what? He did not cancel death. He did not remove death as saying, now death doesn't exist. But he transformed its nature, right? So whereas before, whenever a person dies, they die to eternal condemnation. The, it, is it is an eternal death. It's an eternal suffering. It's an eternal separation, right? But no, now Christ has made it so that its nature is changed, so that it actually is the door to eternal life. So again, death still exists. Physical death still exists, but it is no longer to be feared because it takes you to a different destination, right, than before. And so um, here this is this is kind of what is the analogy here that we're seeing, the symbolism that we're going to see about this story. So this son died even though he was eating of the food that the prophet brought him. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with, uh, with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Okay. So we have seen other um, stories in the scripture where people have been raised from the dead. But we haven't really seen one of this type where a person would lay them themselves out, search themselves out on the person who was dead, and then praying a prayer like this, let this child's soul come back to him. Why do you think Elijah laid down on this child this way? I think it's a symbol of, of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is a symbol of the cross. He like because here Elijah is a type of Christ. And he is laying down on top of him in a sense kind of like sharing his life with the life of the boy. He's saying just as I am alive, right? I share my life with you so that my life becomes comes to you symbolically of course, right? And this is what Christ did. Christ united himself who is the fountain of life with the human nature to bring his eternal life to our nature, to unite with us in that way, to heal us in that way. Okay, um, St. Ephraim the Syrian, he says this, he stretched himself on the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. These words contain many symbols. The scripture shows us immediately that through the invocation of the three names, a human being will come back to life if he kills the ancient Adam with the help of the Messiah and the holy baptism. The divine Paul says, if we have died with the Messiah, we believe that we will also live with him. And what follows agrees precisely with this meaning. He stretched himself on the child because in this life, which he will give us after we are dead, to that ancient Adam, he will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. And here you can also see a symbol of the triple descent of the Son of God to, th to the dead. The first symbol consists here in the fact that he was made flesh and included his infinite nature into the womb of the virgin. The second, that he stretched his body on the wood and was crucified. 
The third, that whoever accepts death lies in the grave and goes down to Sheol, so that in order to vivify humankind, God consented to stretch his majesty on our smallness. So he's speaking about how Christ shared himself with us, right? Came down from heaven in his incarnation, the death of the cross, the going down into Hades, that these three events kind of like are symbols uh, or, or, or the antitype of here when when Elijah is saying to this the child three times, laying out himself three times on the ch on the child, saying, "O oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him." So just as Christ made us alive by stretching Himself out on the cross to share His life with us, so here, right, Elijah, who is like a prefigured, uh, like like symbol of Christ, um, he is laying down on the boy. And Saint Augustine actually also says that the three times represent the Trinity and the baptism with the three immersions, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to bring us from death to life. Yes. In uh, verse 20, his the language was kind of like as if he's like blaming God for for the whole thing but then he was like very con I would this is how I see but like it seems like he was like he had the faith that the son also gonna come back so how he's blaming God in verse 20 and then he's also doing this because in, in verse 20 it sounds like as if he doesn't have any faith or any hope any hope so Expressing anguish and sadness it doesn't mean a lack of faith. Actually, if you look at Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he exp he expressed anguish, and even if you if you interpret his words like in a, in one way, you can see that he's like saying, like speaking to the Father, saying, "I wish I didn't have to go through the suffering." Now, of course, he this wasn't meaning that he was trying to get out of the suffering. I mean, he knew that this was the, his whole mission, to like in the incarnation. But if you look at his words and his actions and his emotions during that time, you'd see like he is he is suffering and 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 not wanting to go, right? But this was not a lack of faith, right? So even though uh, as human beings we express negative emotions, this doesn't mean that we are unfaithful. Actually. You know, I was, I was speaking to somebody and, you know, we were talking about this, the ne the idea of the negative emotions, right? And they were saying, like, in their view, um, the goal of a, a Christian is to be able to completely avoid negative emotions. Like, if we truly had faith and we truly believed, then we would never have any negative emotions, right? But this is not true, right? This is actually contrary to our nature. We will always have negative emotions. The question is, what do we do with them? Right, once we have them, the negative emotion comes to me. But does it cause me to have despair? Does it cause me to be afraid? Does it cause me to lose hope? Does it cause me to become violent? All of these negative emotions come, right? But what do I do? Like for instance, when you have someone who becomes angry, right? You can be angry, um, but then not sin. You can be angry and actually take a positive step. Ch parents become angry with their children because the child is doing something wrong. That's necessary for parenting to be angry because you say there's something wrong. If I just ignore it, 
and be like la 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 you know i'm not i'm not gonna i'm just gonna go into my happy place and i'm gonna ignore everything right and change try to transform my negative feelings into positive feelings well you're missing out on an opportunity to teach your child something right so but if you but if you do the opposite where you just like okay i'm so angry that i'm going to become violent and beat my child and whatnot like also that's not the right way the right way is okay, I have this feeling, how can I train my child so that they don't do this wrong thing and turn it into something positive? The same is true with like any any kind of um, feeling that I might have. Like, so let's say I someone does something to offend me, right? And so I have a negative emotion, right, about it. There is also a right way and a wrong way to deal with it, right? Maybe when I have a negative emotion, when I see someone who did something, let's say they said something and it hurt me, right? What can I benefit from this? I can benefit that. Well, I know that that specific thing that they did, I should not do it, right? Like, how can I improve myself by saying, you know what, this hurt me so much, I'd be sure I'm never going to do this to anyone else. That's also something, a positive thing I can get from the fact that I had this this feeling. So the fact that he's expressing, like, uh, a normal human concern about, like, God, why are you doing this, you know? Did you send me here? Like, are, didn't you send me here to save the woman? Why are you, um, why are you now allowing her son to die? So it's not like uh, it's not like he's having here a lack of faith or actually angry at God, but he's expressing the normal human confusion that we have whenever things happen contrary to what we expect. Keep in mind, like he, he uh, Elijah didn't know the future. Right, like he didn't know that this was going to happen. God didn't tell Elijah from the beginning, "This is what's going to happen." No, it it was a sudden thing, and so in that moment, seeing the anguish of the woman and seeing the child being dead, I think uh, he it was very like a normal kind of reaction. But at no point did he like blaspheme or or criticize God. He was just expressing his human feelings, his concerns. Also, if you see like in in the in the Psalms, for instance, King David is always expressing many different emotions in the same psalm so one part of the psalm he's speaking about how he feels like he's hemmed in by all his enemies and his enemies are going to destroy him and you know god where are you can you hear me why are you not responding to my prayers and all? and then after that it's like he has received reassurance from god and now he's saying how god is powerful and god is going to destroy his enemies and god is saving him and so and really like prayer is supposed to be an expression of all that we feel to god and it's okay if those things that we feel um, are n- negative in that sense. Like there, there's, 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 there's anger, there's fear, there's all of those. That's the real thing. That's the real thing that we feel. So um, I don't consider this to be like a, a lack of faith. Okay. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. What's interesting about this is like, well, you didn't know this from the miraculous flour and oil? Like, you know, like, how else would you explain? Like, what happened before? You know? But sometimes we need, like, multiple, many reminders. You know? Like, all of us, like, we are Christians, right? We believe God 
can do all these great, amazing things. But that doesn't mean that when I have a specific problem that I'm just completely calm and in peace. Because I say, well, yeah, we well, believe God can do everything. So I shouldn't have any negative emotions. I shouldn't feel anything. I should be completely at peace, right? Because I know that God exists and that God is good and all those things. Yeah, we know that. But it doesn't mean that just because we know that, right, that that's going to translate into our everyday actions, right? Especially under the greatest of stressful situations, which like this would be the most stressful situation, right, is that your child died, right? So, so, so it's easy for us to just to see things and we're processing them we're trying to understand them so a big part of like what spiritual progress looks like spiritual progress is taking the things that we know in our head and and having them like come down into our heart and to be like really have a solid like we build our life on this like this is not just knowledge and facts and information that we all agree to but it's more like i build my house kind of like when the lord was saying like the person who built his house on the rock right I rely on this so much, I build my house on this. Like, this is something that's so true, that's so fundamental, that I, I, everything that I do, everything that I think, the decisions I make, the emotions I have, everything is built on this faith that I have. It's not just academic faith, it's not just knowledge that I have, but it's truly like a relationship that I have with Christ. So, yeah, there are many times where we have to be reminded continually again and again and again that God is real and that God is with us and that God is helping us and that God is answering our prayers and all of this, even though we know, even though we believe. But here, the woman, again, like she's saying, like, now there is nothing that I can say. Like, this is so clear. Just like Job at the end of his trial when he said, you know, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Like, I see you uh, clearly in front of me in a way that I cannot deny with such vivid detail um, that this experience is going to be something that stays with her um, for the rest of her life. <coughs> Any questions? Yes. Well, this is this is uh, this region Zarephath is not in Israel. So so even though it's not expressly said, but it's understood that she's, you know, she's not living in Israel, so she's living with the Sidonians, like in the in the kingdom of Tyre. Um so it's it's ex expected that she would be um uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, Elijah was very faithful, you know, like very different than, let's say, Jonah, who, like, when asked to go to a Gentile region, he ran away. But actually, this is why also Christ in the New Testament, when he when he was rebuking the people and he said, were there no widows in Israel, right? So meaning, like, there was no one in Israel. Everyone in Israel was, like, sinful. So go, go here. Uh, go to the Gentiles, yeah. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Okay, so remember, Samaria is what? Hmm? The capital. Yes, the capital of the northern kingdom. Good. And this is where who lived? Ahab. And his wife's name? 
And who's the the name of Ahab's father? Omri. <laughs> Good. Okay, so it's been now how long? Three years. We know like the whole uh, the whole famine is going to last three and a half years. But so it's been three years. And the interesting thing is during this time, there has been no interaction, right? Like w w it's not like it's different than like the story of Moses and Pharaoh, and the sense that. Um, Moses was always going to Pharaoh back and forth, let my people go, and then he says no, and then he goes back again, and he says no, and it's like, no, this is like uh, 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 Elijah went to Ahab at the beginning. He told him there's not, there's going to be a drought. Bye. And he leaves for three years, okay? Um, and so now, though, at this point in time, just as God had told Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh, so God is telling uh god is telling elijah to go and to confront king ahab okay so in god's in, in god's wisdom this this is long enough this three years is long enough and ahab had called obadiah who was in charge of his house now obadiah feared the lord greatly for so it was while jezebel massacred, massacred the prophets of the lord that obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. Okay, so again, this period of time was like very brutal, right? Because um, Jezebel, which is why she's considered such an evil like queen, is that she was actively persecuting the prophets. Now, one thing to understand is there were many prophets. Like, you know, maybe we are aware of the names of the most famous of the prophets, but there were many different prophets meaning these were servants that God had chosen to deliver his message to the people. Like just as earlier when we were reading about the man of God from Judah who went to the northern kingdom, right? We didn't even know the name of this man of God. They never gave him a name. He was just referred to as the man of God. So there were many people that God chose in order to speak his word to the people, right? And so people we never know who they are or, or, or what their name are, and maybe they're never even mentioned in the scripture. So don't think that just these famous figures, the ones who wrote books that are in the Old Testament, those are the ones that are the prophets, and there's no one else. So there's many others, okay? There's many others. Um, so Jezebel, she was uh, rooting out all those people, and like the people who were faithful to God. She was essentially wanting to completely transform Israel to be pagan, okay? Because that is her background, right? She was the daughter of the king of Sidonians. I think that's what it said, right? Um, so, so she's coming. She's completely pagan, coming from a pagan background, right? Idol worshippers. She's married Ahab, who was a Hebrew, right? But um, so she is transforming the nation, and she is persecuting all of these prophets. So there was this man. Uh, his name was Obadiah, which means servant of Jehovah. And he was in charge of the house of Ahab. And so he was secretly trying to hide the prophets from Jezebel so that she could not slaughter them. Okay. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and the mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. Okay? So um, remember that uh, Ahab had said before at the beginning of the three years that um, nothing will stop this drought except Elijah. He says the only thing that will end this drought is that my word, meaning when I say that the drought will end, this is when the drought will end. 
And so um, Ahab, of course, he doesn't believe this, doesn't want to submit to this. So he's not thinking to himself, let me seek out the prophet Elijah and talk to him and see what we need to do. Right. He's still willfully rejecting the power and the authority of God because he's not wanting to submit. Right. He's not wanting to change his ways. He's not wanting to listen to what God has to say, even if it means that we are suffering in our drought. Right. Instead, he's saying, what what can we do to make it better on our own? Right. What if we go uh, to the areas where there is water? We find grass. We can keep the horses alive so we will not have to kill them. Right. So they're getting very desperate. Right. To the point where there's not any food and there's not any food for the livestock. And um, instead of thinking, well, let's go talk to Elijah. No, he's still trying to find ways on his own. And he's spending more time listening to Jezebel. Right. Than he is listening to the prophet. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he said to him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. So saying what? Like if, if, if I go back to Ahab and I tell him, yeah, I met Elijah and I left him. And, uh, <clears throat> and I just came back to tell you, well, no, he's going to kill me. Like we've been looking for you everywhere. He can't, he's not going to allow me just to return and say, I found Elijah. Okay. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, that and he cannot find you he will kill me but i your servant have feared the lord from my youth was it not reported to my lord what i did with Jeze uh, when jezebel killed the prophets of the lord how i hid 100 men of the lord's prophets 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water and now you say go tell your master elijah is here he will kill me then elijah said as the lord of hosts lives before whom i stand i will surely present myself to him today. So he's saying, I promise I'm going to go um, and, and present myself to him um, today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. This is a good stopping point. And uh, next time, God willing, we'll speak about what happens between um, Ahab and Elijah. Any um, final comments or questions? Okay. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing in all things, and that you bless us during this time of fasting, and help us to focus, O Lord, on repentance and confession, and reading your word, and drawing ourselves closer to you. We ask, O Lord, to help us to understand your scripture, and to learn from it all of the lessons you want us to learn. We ask for your blessing. We ask, O Lord, that your spirit dwell in us, just as it's it dwelt, O Lord, with the prophets and with the prophet Elijah and how he was bold and able to go out and to speak your word without fear. We ask, O God, that you be with us and that you grant us the same spirit and that you teach us your ways, O Lord, and guide us in our life. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, 
Hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.